Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Creation Conversations. Uh, good to see you all here. Uh, hello, George and Stacy. Good to have you here. Um, we've got um, hopefully a technologically issue-free show for you today. Um, <laughs> hopefully, um, I... <laughs> if things go well. Um, oh, George is saying no audio, Joe. I can hear you fine. So, oh no, I'm I'm getting a Vietnam flashback to the Zoom stream we did. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, hi, Baxter. Good to have you. Yeah, there we go. Good to see you, Baxter. Nice to see you could join. Um, but yeah, um, so we've got um, a, a sort of hodgepodge of stuff today, haven't we? We've got um, some some J stuff going on. Is that right, John? We do. We have a theme, even that looks hodgy podgy. And Joseph certainly confirms hodgy podgy with his weak signal from the Isle of Wight. But then again, that's what happened last time. But he's been on the beach and he's been out there finding great fossils. And we were looking forward to seeing some of them. And you might still see them. They don't have to talk. But in reality, he's been on the Isle of Wight doing some research for his doctorate, doing some research for film Scotland, doing some just some general interesting stuff. And in Australia, we have been uh, waiting for the school holidays to finish. But they've been postponed. Never before in my history have I seen school holidays extended because they really don't have enough teachers to start school up again. Quite an amazing COVID-connected phenomena here in Queensland, Australia. Now, I don't mind the, the holidays being continued, but the parents are going crazy. I mean, another two weeks with the kids, send them off to creation research, get them, get them COVIDized or whatever. So it's an interesting time here in Australia. Uh, we've tried to sort out all our technical issues this morning, but you can see if you've been watching Joseph Lips, there's sort of a delay between him, the Isle of Wight, and Sam up there in the little control studio. Diane, what have you been doing? Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, we're uh, we're still in summer holidays here in Canberra as well. Uh, so Canberra isn't quite as cold as it is in the winter. Um, you have to remember in the Northern Hemisphere that January is actually high summer down here and it's quite warm and humid. Um, now, we don't normally send out our newsletter uh, during that time because the um, Creation Research Office staff also need a break. Uh, but we still have some things to share from our newsletter. We do. <clears throat> because, we um, do indeed. yes, yes, well, we actually archive the things we send out. So if you haven't been getting our, our newsletter updates, um, it doesn't matter. All of the science news uh, things, we do archive those on their own website. It's just called the fact file. Uh, you can look that up, creation fact file. And... Uh, so even if you haven't been getting our newsletter, we file all of those and you don't need to know which newsletter they came out on because we file them separately. So you can just do a, a topical keyword search. And uh, so because we're talking about things Jurassic uh, today, um, I've done that. Before you go any further, Diane, before you go any further, mm -hmm. you almost gave it away. 
you see all of this J stuff, Jurassic included, came from a question that somebody asked me, what's Jesus' real name? Because they looked it up <laughs> oh, in yeah. Greek and his mm. name wasn't Jesus. When you look up your Greek New Testament, it started with the letter I. So they wanted to know why I. Uh, so we, we've gone through the whole letter J. And when we get back to you, because I see Joseph's glorious fossil finding face has appeared in the bottom right hand corner of my screen. Yes, we yes. will ask you to give us a report on things J in the fact file. So, Joseph, mm. can we hear you properly now? Well, I, I don't know. Let's try it. Can everybody hear, hear I me? Hope, I hope everyone can hear me because I'm not sure I can handle uh, trying to wrangle these two Aussies on my on my own. Um, <laughs> but, can uh, anybody hear me? Is that any better? Yes. Well, we, I can definitely hear you. Um, I'm good. hoping the chat, if, if you guys in the chat could help. It. Yes, all good. All good. Yes. Right, getting thumbs up. It's all good. good. Right, there we go. Well, I've signed back into my laptop, which has finally come to life. Um, if anybody's been watching, we had this great idea, you know, let's do an Indie Joe roadshow and uh, share all of the content. And the show's gone really, the roadshow's gone really well. It's just the technology. <laughs> Everything has just collapsed on me all in the last uh, two days. But um, I still look a little bit jerky. I'm going to try and stay as still as I possibly can while I'm talking. Um, but uh, yeah be uh, much in prayer and support as if you can because we uh, need to <laughs> we need some technology upgrades but hopefully you've been enjoying the road trip so far yeah i, I was uh, i i had a I, I had a sneaky look at work and it was, it was i was very jealous of your um your escapades on the isle of wight and joe i was really glad today you finally got to the first place i ever went to on the isle of wight out to the flood log jam and uh, I sent you an email. You might want to answer it. Did you find the fossil dinosaur footprints going up over the logs? That was one thing that really excited me. But I won't spoil your thing because you're going to bring us a bit of a film clip a bit later, correct? Um, hopefully. <laughs> well, anyway, I know you've got some fossils here to bring please, in. So please pray that it all works. Yeah, um, we will. You know, and for those yeah. of you who are out there, you can also pray for Joe's laptop. Uh, he uh, needs a new one. So if you want to support creation research, there's one other project that needs upgrading. It needs to be created, not evolve. These evolved laptops don't do too good at all. But if you can uh, support that, you can even do it tax deductibly in the UK. We'd encourage you to even think about that, Sam. So put up the directions for how they can do that. And Sam, you weren't with us last week. Have you had a busy week? I have. I, I celebrated um, my mother's 60th birthday, even though she'd hate me saying that she's now 60. Um, but we had a lovely time, went over to uh, Newhall, which I believe is in um, Sutton Coalfield. Um, and uh, it was absolutely lovely. It was some lovely gardens, some lovely flowers. Um, and it had a gorgeous old sort of like... Um, almost sort of Georgian room with a four-poster bed that you sort of had to do a running jump at to, to get on top of because <laughs> it was that high. Um, I mean, I'm quite, I'm nearly six foot tall and I, and I had issues. Um, but yeah, it was lovely and the food was gorgeous as well. So I had a, a very relaxing time. So thank you very much indeed. And um, yes, and hopefully if you're what, happy birthday again. That's good. <laughs> 
All right, Joseph, bring us a proper report on your uh, uh, Isle of Wight thing before Diane gives us a look at the uh, uh, Jays that we've got filed. And I'll take over and get to a bit of background on this. What was Jesus' name and what on earth's that got to do with fossils? So are you ready to boot her up there? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure the uh, the video is not going to work at the moment. We may have to try it later on in the evening. Uh, but it'll give you a little bit of a verbal update, right? Let's start with fossil of the day. And if you were watching um, our roadshow, you'll probably have a good guess as to what fossil of the day is, if I can find it. Uh, it's our first fossil from our fossil hunting field trip. If we can hold it up <laughs> to the camera so you can all see it. There we go nice and in focus at my end anyway um it may be a bit blurry at your end yeah that's good but you can see this mm. lovely rather lovely shark fin spine um so you can see how it kind of curves mm. up and uh, up and around up to the top here very nice it's what would actually hold the fin in place he'd be able to raise it and lower it to control the fin now this particular rock is called the vectis formation the Vectis formation is named after the name that the Roman gave, Romans gave to the island. They called it the Island of Vectis, uh, or the Isles of Vectis, actually, because there were multiple isles, uh, and sea level changes has meant that there's now only one uh, island, so sea levels were higher in the past. There's an interesting little climate change thing to think about there, uh, but you find this is the bed uh, that was named after that Roman name, and you get it full of sharks and dinosaurs and turtles and flying uh, reptiles flying dinosaurs as well a whole mess so definitely a catastrophic wash uh, all dumped into this rather concrete uh, block type formation with these wonderful fossils in it uh, you'll also as john mentioned and you can see if you uh, follow our road trip on youtube and uh, i'll be putting up the final video tonight as well if the technology holds out so um pray much for that uh we will have also gone and seen these uh logs these log jams and we've had some really really great results out of that as well and the dinosaurs that as john said the dinosaur footprints which come out on top of the log jams so i've visited those footprints several times uh, i've been to the island multiple times but you have to wait for very low tide to get out there so i've been over there three or four times but it's the first time that I started seeing the log jams. Uh, I'd seen pictures of it, but it's changed quite a lot since when John visited there. And a lot of stuff has got eroded away. But we've got some really, really nice, big, thick logs uh, from that fossil forest area and some great footage as well. So great, great day all around, really. Just a good point that you mentioned there, Joe. Time doesn't help preserve fossils. It destroys them. Right? Mm. And secondly... You would have noticed, like I noticed, that there is a direction to those log jams, and I do hope we may get to see some pictures today or they can see it in watching. They actually point back to the mainland overall, and they've been flood deposited, and nobody disputes that, correct? No, no. In fact, it's actually in uh, the whole uh, bed is known as the Vectis flood bed or the Vectis flood, sorry, the... Um, uh, Weldon, the Weldon flood basin. Uh, the whole of the Weld is generally accepted to be a flood dump. And uh, I actually had uh, one of the other was one of your old books, John, that you uh, have in the UK, which I was looking through. It's a secular production, right? Geologist Association. And if you actually go to Hanover Point, and I just saw this earlier, so let's see if I can very quickly pull it up and uh, give you a shot. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so this is from page 92 of this book. It says that the plant debris bed, which is this fossil log jam at Hanover Point, uh, is composed of grey muddy silts and fine sands. It is clearly a flood deposit with those preserved in situ showing a northeast southwest alignment. Um, it's one of the ways that you know that it's been washed into position is if long elongated fossils are all pointing the same way. Right? So it's, it's a great piece of evidence for sure. And Joseph, from my memory and being there and having a good look and collecting any loose pieces that were around, um, they are all pine trees and they're southern conifers, correct? Yeah, all pine trees, all southern conifers. And again, the book, the book confirms that. And anybody who knows your forestry can confirm that by looking at it. Um, monkey puzzle trees is what we call them, although all the monkey puzzle trees that grow here in the UK now are the South American variety rather than the Australian variety, because it's simply too cold for them to grow uh, here today. So again, more climate change. And more proof that they don't evolve. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for that report. Diane, what have we got going, Jay, today in your fact file? And tell us a bit again how they can get onto this because there's hundreds and hundreds of research uh, articles there, correct, that are fabulous resources. Yes, yes, that's right. We've been uh, sending out our newsletter for about 20 years, so there's uh, quite, a, uh, quite a big archive there. Uh, <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, as I said before, we do archive the individual items separately so you can find them by doing a keyword search. You don't need to know uh, when they were sent out in the original newsletter. Uh, and because we're looking at things beginning with J, I thought, well, let's see if we can find a couple of Jurassic things. So if you put in Jurassic in the uh, keyword search, you come up with uh, some interesting items. Uh, so here are some from the archive. This one, first one comes uh, from uh, only a few years ago, about 2018. And if we could start the slideshow, um, I've just got a nice uh, photo uh, and a little bit uh, about it. Yes, some Jurassic blubber. Now, you all know what blubber is. It's the layer of fatty tissue that's uh, normally associated with whales and, and dolphins, um, which are warm-blooded mammals, so they need to keep their te temperature up even though they live in the water, and so the, the blubber is a sort of insulating layers. Uh, but uh, some reptiles do actually have blubber as well. Uh, um, those big turtles um, ha have a layer of blubber, uh, so scientists have often wondered, well, I wonder whether these big reptiles that used to swim in the water, right, ichthyosaurs, uh, whether they had a, a, a layer of blubber. Now, most of them we just know from their bones. And if we go to the next slide, um, now just a moment, uh, if I can uh, get my slides up here. Uh, right, this is uh, an ichthyosaur uh, in a museum. There are quite a lot of these fossils. You can go and see some at the British Natural History Museum. Uh, and mostly we just look at their bones, but some of them do have uh, obvious imprints and remains of the soft tissue that was around them, which indicates that they weren't buried slowly and gradually. Uh, and now that we've got some interesting techniques for looking uh, more closely at fossils, and I believe, Joseph, you're going into that with your uh, your research project that's uh, that's starting up. Uh, 
some scientists in Germany decided, well, let's have a close look at some of these really well-preserved uh, ichthyosaurs and see if we can find any evidence um, of soft tissue around them and whether they had a layer of blubber because they're quite a large animal. They're usually the reconstructions of them look like a dolphin but with a, with a long pointed head. And so they, they looked at a particularly well-preserved specimen uh, from this formation called Holzmaden, and uh, my apologies to any German people, I'm sure I've mangled that completely. And lo and behold, they did actually find um, evidence of some soft tissue. They found some skin and some uh, fatty tissue, and they were able to do some um, chemical analysis as well. And they made... Uh, <coughs> this comment about, um, about it. Um, this specimen gives us more evidence that these tissues and molecules can preserve for extremely long periods and that soft tissue analysis can shed light on evolutionary patterns, relationships, and how ancient animals functioned in their environment. Now, only one of those three statements is actually true. And if we can just go back to uh, our chat, um, let me see, just a minute, uh, if we can just stop sharing that now. Um, yes, yeah, so only one of those statements is true. Now, what they mean by how the, uh, what it can tell us, tell us about how animals function within the environment, they found evidence of, in the skin, of melanocytes, that's pigmented cells, and they could tell from the uh, organization of these and the uh, little uh, pigment granules that are inside these that this creature would have had a dark back and a, light, um, a lighter belly. And that makes sense in terms of an animal that swims uh, near the surface of the water. It needs some sun protection on its back, um, but it needs a, a lighter belly. They did find evidence that it had blubber, it had that layer of fatty tissue, and they did some chemical analysis. So those were useful things that they found out about this fossil that can tell, a bit, tell us a bit about how it worked when it was alive. So that statement's true. But what about the other two statements there, the one about um, how long these molecules can last? Now, this fossil was dated at 180 million years. Now, organic molecules that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, and we have a colleague who actually does work with these on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they don't last for thousands of years, let alone, um, let alone 180 million. Uh, at a stretch, they might last thousands of years, but uh, certainly not. 180 million years. They should have all gone by then. And uh, the other statement, of course, that's there is that um, is that uh, the um, <clears throat> uh, the the keratin. Uh, sorry, going back to the skin. Uh, they also found uh, keratin, which is another protein. Now we know that proteins don't last that long unless they are incredibly well preserved. So. They really are having themselves on with that uh, with that 180 uh, million years, I think. And uh, maybe John and Joseph can make some comments about that. Um, 
And the other thing that uh, is pure speculate or pure imagination really is that this thing can tell us a bit about evolution relate relationships. Um, now, it can't do that any more than those bones can because from the fossil record, ichthyosaurs appear in the fossil record as fully formed ichthyosaurs and they are in other rock layers besides uh, Jurassic ones, but then they disappear from the fossil record, they're extinct. So there's no evolution. We just find them as fully formed ichthyosaurs and then we don't find them at all and they don't live now. So nothing's evolved. There's no evidence that they ever were anything else. And the evidence uh, from the fact that they're not here anymore uh, is that they've died out. That's no evidence that they've turned into anything else. So there's no evolutionary relationships. And certainly our experience with uh, organic molecules, such as keratin, such as melanin, and with cellular structures, is that they don't last all that long. So only, only one of those statements is, is true. It was still worth doing that project, still worth looking at that fossil. Um, but we need to be able to discern what is the actual findings and what are the uh, conclusions or what's the story that they're telling about um, these findings. And that's what we're trying to do with, the, with our little news, our science news reports in general. Uh, so, it's wonderful that all of these things are being discovered, but we like to help people discern what the actual discovery is and where the evidence fits in to the much bigger picture of the real history of, of the real world. So maybe John and Joseph can yeah, add a Sam, few comments there. Mm. You, Sam, you can put up how they can subscribe to that. It's free. Mm. And free as well. Yes, certainly. Atheist. Mm. So uh, you have a look at the... Uh, address that sam's putting up there and you can go there sign up for the newsletter make use of all of the incredible numbers and remember that we will actually be running courses on this beginning mid-february we were asked by homeschooling groups in new zealand to how could we help them since we can't travel a huge amount at the moment so out of that has come a sort of a, a wisdom college a creative learning college that uh, we're going to try and get underway in mid-January and quite a bit of this stuff will come up illustrated etc as part of that course for all levels of homeschooling and in fact other people have said can we join in and the answer will be sure uh, you'll find the address you can t contact Kathy it's on the front page of our website but Diane concerning those ichthyosaurs um, I actually found a small one of those on the south coast of England and before we could get back, the tide came in and we only had that day. So I know where it is. We'll go back and look at it. Joseph's interested in looking yes. at it as part mm. of his research. I haven't found a big one yet. I'd love to do that, but I've seen plenty of big ones because I've been to the Jurassic Rocks in Germany and had a look at some of the ones mm. out of the black shales. Now, the black shales are black largely because of the broken down organic molecules. And one point that I need to make at the moment is that when God made the world, he had to know about issues like recycling. 
because if you look at the way in which animals and plants particularly are designed, they are designed that while they are living, they have a program that upscales their molecules, repairs their molecules. It's brilliant. In fact, in one, one area only, purely DNA, inside the cell, there's 50 or 60 different recycling, rebuilding um, systems going on. But the minute you die, they fall apart and so the whole system retreats 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 till it's all back basically to the simple molecules that can then be rebuilt up as food or something else from a part of an hour so god has made a brilliant recyclable uh planet and and biological system so yes everything you said there about that plesiosaur uh, is or sorry if you saw is basically what you'll see in germany as well but sam and i were having a, a look at something at the start. Sam, what have you actually got that's a boast point for you today? Right, okay, well, um, I've, I've, well, you, you and John, okay, well, Joe and John, right, okay, you, you like to show off your collection. You like to show off your fossils. You like to say, oh, yes, who's got the best fossil collection? I can now compete in that field too, I would hasten to point out. Uh, here we go. To, just to relate into um, Diane's talk, uh, we have something here. It's a beautiful ichthyosaur vertebrae. You can see the, um, you've got some uh, bellamites on the back because it's sea washed. So it's uh, been washed up in the sea. Um, but you can actually see on the side, I don't know if the detail will show up on the camera, you can see the indentations of the bone where it's been filled in. So it might be a bit out of focus. Mm. How's that? No, well, pretty you good, actually. Your screen's frozen, yeah. but it's pretty good. So mm. you're you're entering into the competition. I've got a bigger one than you. Um, uh, yeah, basically. Joe and I always, and everything he finds, I would have found first. Welcome to the race, Sam. That's great. But Diane's fossils, the ones I've seen in Germany, are all Jurassic. And remember the start of this program? What was Jesus' original name? Because you look up your Greek Bible and it's not Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we have the S at the end, the J at the start? And it's a good question, and it's connected even to why do we call it Jurassic? Where do these names come from? So you look like you're almost ready to do something there, uh, um, whatever your name is, dear. <laughs> Here, our <laughs> fossil bloke. That's charming, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever you mean. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay, professional okay. relationship going on here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still, I'm trying to, still trying to upload the video, but it's still not, uh, it's still not playing ball at the moment. Yeah. So, um, what I'll do instead is uh, I will try and uh, just grab some photos so that we can. Um, mm -hmm. Well, while you were doing that, I have another uh, example of something Jurassic, if you'd like to look at that from, from the go archive. Ahead. Yes, go, go ahead. ahead go yeah. Yeah. Yeah, slides, all right. if, we, if we can okay. go to the, um, to the next slide. Yes. Uh, all right. This time it's a Jurassic tree, and it does actually relate to that uh, log jam that, that you uh, found, that you looked at in the Isle of Wight, which is of southern pine trees or oricaria pines and this is a particular uh, famous uh, oricaria pine 
And I like to go and visit this tree whenever I go and uh, visit the UK uh, because I always like to go to Kew Gardens. And this tree here is uh, growing in Kew Gardens. It actually quite likes the climate there. It, it's doing very well. Uh, now, these were found in Australia, so why should I go and visit one that's uh, growing in uh, Kew Gardens in England? Well, th this particular tree was planted by David Attenborough back in 2005. And it's a Wallamai pine. And, uh, and as I say, it's doing quite well. And this is uh, that particular tree. It's starting to pr produce cones. So it's actually starting to reproduce. So that, that is good. And I know that they are propagating them. Uh, the, the Kew Gardens people, they have another garden at Wakehurst and they've propagated a whole heap of those. And they've done the same in Australia. They've propagated them. And you can buy one and plant it in your own garden if you, uh, if you desire to do so. And if you do that, you get this little um, leaflet, this little pamphlet that comes with, with it saying the Wallamai pine, grow your own living fossil. Uh, now that quote that's in the uh, green print on a green background is a bit hard to read there. So, so, so that you're not uh, uh, intrigued by that and distracted, I've, uh, I've reproduced it there. The discovery of the Wallamai pine is the equivalent of finding a small dinosaur still alive on earth. And the reason for saying that is that these uh, fossils, uh, the, these trees, were only ever known as fossils until 1994, and they were dated as Jurassic. So we're going back a couple of hundred million years old, and they thought they're dead and gone, but we do have other Oracaria pines still growing in Australia, and in fact, um, they are the... Uh, main fossils that we have up at our Jurassic Ark site as well. Now, David Attenborough, when he planted this one at the uh, at, at Kew Gardens, uh, he commented, uh, and the BBC quoted him here, it was covered by a lot of um, media, of course, because it was David Attenborough planting this thing. It is rom romantic, I think, that something has survived for 200 million years unchanged. And if we just go back, um, that's what's meant by living fossil. And this is a term that Charles Darwin ironically came up with. Uh, he said, these are living creatures that we can see living on the earth today, but they are the same as their fossils. So from when the first fossil that we found uh, of these things was buried to the ones that we have living on Earth today, they haven't changed. So he called them living fossils, and it's actually quite a good name. And, in fact, we've planted a whole uh, living fossil garden at our Jurassic Ark site. Now, David Attenborough, if we just go back to him, he is most well known for promoting the theory of evolution, which is about how things have changed. But here he is being all romantic and soppy about this tree, which has survived unchanged for 200 million years. So if we just finish the slideshow there and go back to, uh, back to us. Um, <clears throat> let me see. There we go. Uh, if we just, uh, if, can I just stop sharing my screen now? Okay. Yeah, if you're finished, that should be fine. Just stop yeah, sharing yes, and I'll turn yes. it off like All that. All right, we go, go back to us. 
Yes, so we have, um, <clears throat> you can grow your own living fossil in Australia. We have living fossils at our Jurassic Arc site and, uh, and we have Oracaria pines still growing in Australia. They're called um, southern pine trees because these days they only grow south of the equator. I've seen the monkey puzzle trees that they have those at Kew Gardens as well and a, a lot of private gardens have them in the UK. Um, but that, as Joseph said, they, they are imported from South America at the moment and there are a whole lot of other Oracaria pines. Uh, but 200 million years and they're unchanged. There's no evolution there. So I don't know why David Attenborough is getting quite so romantic about it. Uh, and of course, the good point to make is that, uh, you know, the fact that there has been no unchanged and the fact that there are so many living fossils, you've got no need for the millions of years in the first place. Um, we're not mm. saying that we believe that they're 200 and whatever million years no, old. No, no, that, that's right. You, know, um, you, you should really expect some change in that in that point. Yeah. Fact, it, was, it was Charles Darwin who kind of coined the term living fossils and said, and it, it, one of the things that always gets me is the fact that he contradicts himself almost in the same mm. sentence because he talks about living fossils and then he goes on to say that his theory is not about the strongest creature surviving but the one that's most adaptable to change so his entire mm. idea is about you've got to have creatures adaptable to change but look at all these strange creatures that don't seem to, to do that <laughs> that haven't changed that's exactly right so in fact what we've got here is good positive evidence for a statement that's in the bible uh, that says 10 times that God made things after their kind. Uh, so if these things really were 200 million years old, and we don't believe that for a moment, uh, the evidence is that they were very, very, uh, they were buried very rapidly, both that one on the Isle of Wight, uh, uh, the one that we're digging up, uh, up at uh, our Jurassic Ark site, uh, buried very rapidly. Our experiments with, um, with strata uh, formation, uh, those beds were buried rapidly. There's no time in the in the rocks, and there's certainly no time in the biology either, because things multiply after their kind. So, um, no evidence for evolution. Lots of evidence for things multiplying after their kind, just as it says in the Bible. There's one thing I like to say about evolutionists: they are unbelievable hypocrites. They believe in evolution, but none of them are doing it. Yeah, <laughs> way, to, way to treat them. Okay, Joe, have you got anything ready for us at the moment? I should have. Let me just see if I can. Um... Just just while uh, Joe's getting that up, um, I think it would be, um, be good to go back through the chat because we've had quite a bit of activity tonight. And also we've very kindly had quite a few um, uh, larger donations um, tonight, which I think is uh, being directed towards the new laptop. A super chat from George Bond for 25 Aussie dollars. Thanks, Creation Research, for all that you do. God bless you, John. Uh, George, uh, you can tell it's late. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, as well, uh, we've got uh, something here from Brother Timothy, who sent 10 US dollars. He said, uh, God bless you guys. Truly love what you do. Can't stay. We'll watch the rest later. That's absolutely no problem. As always, we're here on demand whenever you need it. And on the podcast as well. Um, so you can always uh, get into there. And also as well, I believe um, it's not coming up here, but I believe John Schmidt sent something as well. I think he sent um, 
I think it's $19 or something like that. So thank you so much. So I know there was another donation, but it's not showing up here, so I can't put you on the screen, unfortunately, so I'm really sorry. Um, I think it sort of had a little bit of a hissy fit. Um, but yes, thank you so much um, for, uh, for um, and uh, George has uh, written a very um, funny um, question, which we'll answer later, I'm sure. Um, any news on the uh, the, uh, the film? The video, um, I think, I'm about to give up on. Um, right, okay. It's visibly slowing my computer down and everything else. But uh, uh, I have got some pictures. So that's the sort of graphics that we've put up. Uh, Indiana Whoa. Joe's road trip. So you can uh, follow me along. I will continue to endeavor. Um, <laughs> I will hopefully continue to endeavor to put out uh more videos and daily videos and everything else so keep uh, following keep supporting but these are some of the finds that i got today so there you can see a rather beautiful giant log that has kind of broken off and uh it's, it's a huge great big fossil tree again these are carrier trees you can see a great big one there as well which is going uh, down into the water uh, this is all fossil wood by the way uh, so huge great big trees, another great big stump right out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, the, the tide came back as I was doing my live video. So I kind of had to wade through towards the end of my live video. Because <laughs> I had uh, the tide. You have to have a really, really low tide in order to get out to see these. Um, because there's like a big sort of um, uh, valley kind of cut through where uh, you can kind of see the footprints exposed but you can't get to them until the tide goes down low enough but you really only have a sort of a half an hour window to get out there and get back in again um and i'd sort of slightly mistimed it there's that great big bit of fossil wood you can see where it kind of has come sticking out of the rock so it's sort of a semi-polystrate it's kind of sticking up at an angle um when it was in situ anyway before it had broken off and there's that wonderful shark uh spine fossil that i found as well let's see what i've got on here oh there's that uh, there's that fossil again and there's me on the boat it was very 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 pretty sunset as i oh. uh, was heading over from uh, the mainland over to the island so yeah really really nice you look like you went on a cruise i know i say it looks <laughs> tropical almost doesn't it it's absolutely yeah, beautiful. It it's mm. uh, it's very very nice yeah. um yeah. we've been really really blessed with the weather that's one great thing it's been fairly cool at night uh but it's been really bright and sunny mm. both mm. days that i've been here both coming over and uh when i've been down here so um what's interesting diane because you were talking about the botanical gardens i actually went to uh, uh ventnor botanical gardens which are mm. down on the south of the, the isle of white right and we're right down south so we're actually in the warmest part of the united kingdom uh and ventnor is even more special you were sort of about uh, i mean the isle of wight generally is between one around one degree half degree to one degree warmer than the rest of the uk because it's so far south mm -hmm. however in ventnor it's even better because where you're positioned you have great big yellow sandstone cliffs almost kind of engulfing this uh chine right this gate and uh ventnor botanical gardens are based in there and because they're based down you used a local word there that doesn't translate chine. Tell them what a chine is. 
Ah, so a chop is a sort of a small gully or very, very small canyon, <laughs> which has been carved out by a stream running down into the sea. So you have a stream <clears throat> or a small river um, or, or, or a creek, which is running down into the sea and it erodes out a very large gully. Uh, which in the past, particularly the Victorians, it was seen as something sort of um, like Victorian romantic or the romantic period where you'd have big gardens set up and you'd pay, you know, people would pay to come and have afternoon tea in these wonderful gardens set up in the Chine, right? And that's how we have a very famous one called Black Gang Chine. That's where that uh, first started as it was a Victorian gardens and now sort of a dinosaur land. But then the Botanical Gardens started out as a, you know, as, as botanical gardens in this chime, it's now um, got some fantastic um, botanical displays there. It's great to go walk around. They've been able to replicate most um, biomes around the world, including mm. a Tasmanian uh, garden, a Queen's. Oh. Lost your audio. Uh, we've lost the sound there. Lost your audio, Joe. Oh no, it's all going pear shaped. Send those donations for Joseph's new laptop. That's that's what we're after. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Joseph's trying to sort that out. Uh, I'll take up with the theme that got this um, this very <laughs> intriguingly chaotic program going. The question about Jesus' original name. Now. Um, if you look at my name, my name is John. My surname is Mackay. Now, we have surnames because once you get 50 Johns, you need to distinguish them, so you need to know whose son you are. So in Gaelic, John, the son of Kai. Right now, the earliest Kai you find is back in the 1400s, so the surname goes back there. But then it goes back even further because the Gauls or the Gaels, the Gaelic people, the Celts, we, we had even surname sort of derivatives back in the ninth century. So my name, John Mackay in the present, actually the first John Mackay I find in history, his name is I-A-I-A-N. Now, Ian or Yan. Now, that's interesting for John, but his second name was M-H-I-C-A-O-I-G-H. That's the closest we could spell it. He was a Mick because most of the Scottish people came from Ireland anyway. So you'll find that the Ian McHoy uh, became John Mackay. Where did the J come from? It's the same problem you find with Jesus. Now, I'm going to actually put up, if we can bring my screen up now, I've got a Bible showing up that was printed just before the guy that kicked off the British Reformation, you know, King Henry VIII, he died a few years after this. So he lived to see this. But this is the Matthews Bible in 1537. Now, it's not Greek. It's the English of King Henry's day, Matthew chapter 1. This is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Now, can you see one thing? Because we've got names like Isaac, which still start with an I, you can see that the same letter is used for Jesus. So someone in 1537 wouldn't have said they worshipped Jesus. They would have said, we worship Jesus. But then that's closer to what you read in the Greek. Yes, in the Greek, it's I-E-S-U-S, -S, the closest you can get. 
Um, by the way, do you know something? This is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son, different spelling. Yeah, you recognize it though, of what does that name spell? Well, we recognize it as pretty close to David. But you see, the interesting thing is I'm old enough to have grown up with Greek and Latin symbols used at school. And the one thing I do know is that when we use Latin, it didn't have a U. It had a V. And so we would put a V there today, D-A-V-I-D. Or we wouldn't put a Y, but then Y, well, it actually sounds like I-A-I-A-N, E-A-N, the E-A becomes a Y. Interesting to see how languages change. But there's the Bible in 1537, and this would give rise ultimately to the King James Bible. Okay, King Henry's long dead. We've now got a, a, a very widespread Protestant Reformation. And in 1611, have a look at your first edition of King James. This is the page of Matthew's Gospel. Look at the number of the chapter at the top. Chapter J. When on earth is J a number? You see, J is the 10th letter in our alphabet, but in reality, originally, it was an I because, come on, some of you old enough to remember X, I, I, I. That's out of your old Latin numerals. X is 10, I was 1, but you needed to know when you were finished. I mean, did you want four I's after it? Would that have been 14? 10 plus 1, 1, 1, 1. Well, how do you know when you stop? The, what they did was they put a little curve on the bottom of the last I, which eventually turned into the letter J. So this is actually chapter one, because this is the last one intended in the number. It's also the first one. Interesting. So J starts off as a numerical version of an I. Okay, and in chapter one, the genealogy of Christ. Okay, that's a good way to start an English version of the Bible. Chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel of the first edition of the new, well, it wasn't, I guess it was the new King James in those days. The genealogy of Christ from Abraham to Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary when he was espoused, when she was espoused to Joseph. You notice one thing? No J. The J that you'd put for Joseph is an I. Well, what's going on? By the time you get through this, you know very well that I and J are somehow related. In fact, they're still connected in our alphabet, H-I-J. In fact, the interesting thing is those three letters are actually historically connected. So it wasn't just John from 21st century to Ian in the 9th century that I can trace my... I mean, I know about him because he climbed up the cliffs in my hometown and took back our castle from those wretched Vikings. You've seen a Viking tonight, that red-bearded guy who was sailing over the Isle of Wight. That's what they look like a fair bit. Oh, mixed with Celtic blood, of course. Okay, read the first passage there as best you can. Can you see the, where T and H are combined? The book of the generations of... Well, is that an I or is it a J? You see, it looks like a combination of both. You and I would probably say Jesus Christ, the son of David, still got the U, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat, oh, but there's the same letter as in Jesus. Compare the third line with the one at the bottom of the picture. Jesus Christ, well, it's now actually Isaac. Isaac and Jesus in the first version of the King James start 
with an I. Interesting. Now they don't. What happened? Well, there's your modern day King James Version, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. We've now got a V instead of the U in the 1611 edition, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac still got a letter I. Ah, Jesus, however, has changed. It's interesting to note. There were five editions of your King James Bible between 1611 and 1769, and the 1769 edition is today's King James Version, the one you're used to. Now, please don't be like the silly pagan atheists, the skeptics who say there were 30,000 changes made. Their commas, their spellings. Don't forget Samuel Johnson, that Englishman who sat down in the pub with his friends and said, chaps, we have to do something. All the books are reading different because people are spelling things different. We've got to standardise capitals. You can read books in which every name doesn't have a capital. Then you can read books from the time in which every word has a capital. So they came up with all these rules and the changes between 1769 and today's KJV, the changes between 1611 and 1769 are all of those. They're not content changes. So get off your couch, you skeptics, and read God's word with what it says. Now, I put this up. I've mentioned it a few times. I'll say a couple of things. But the reason I put that up, it's a great web Bible. And the reason I recommend it to you is for those of you who think I'm criticizing the King James Bible, no, I'm not. I'm educating you about it. And I would encourage you. It's the Bible that's been in the longest circulation in English. The fact is we say Jesus because J came in as an official letter in the 1650s and it caught on. You know, do you know why it caught on? Come on, which which country was expanding to become a global empire in the late 1600s? We have Elizabeth and all these people. Well, what's happening? The answer is the English. So if you want to blame anyone for changing Jesus' name from Jesus to Jesus, you have to name the Brits, the ones who gave us the King James Bible. Or you can even see some of these other changes. The Blue Letter Bible, by the way, is based on the King James why? Because after 400 years of usage, you will find that the King James Bible has the most commentaries in every language you want. It's got the best commentaries on Greek and Hebrew. I mean, it's got so many. The others will be hundreds of years before they catch up. And if you've kept up with modern translations, they're in and out in the next printing. The boys' Bible, the girls' perfume Bible. There's so many almost ridiculous <laughs> Bibles out there today. Blue Letter Bible you'll find it's a very, very good starting point if you want to check if a Bible is reliable, if it's an easy read one, if it's an actual translation, because some of them claim to be translations and they're anything but, you will do no better than go to your blue letter Bible. Oh, one interesting quip that you might find useful before I try and give Joseph a bit of a promo again and swap back to him to see if he's got anything else there to say. You will find that at the time the King James Bible was printed, 1611, J was not a letter. J was a number. It becomes a letter in the 1650s. Ah, interesting. And what you'll find is we are still pronouncing words that all through Europe you would have said an H or an I for, and in English they've changed into a J. A couple of examples. 
if you met a Spanish waiter on a TV show and his name was spelt J-O-S-E, how would you pronounce it? Jose, of course. Right, Jose, there's no doubt about that. What you'll find is J in the European languages is usually still turned into an H. Uh, But there are some other things as well. If you were to say I-A-I-A-M, you might end up with the way the Dutch pronounce my name, Jan or Jan. Ah, you see, I-A, you, you try and say that slowly and you'll see there's a Y there in the middle. So next time you specifically say, I want a King James Bible, be careful with James's name. Because if J didn't exist as a letter till the 1650s, what was James's actual name? Was it a H or was it an I or was it a Y? Could you have called it the King James Bible? Or actually, in Gaelic, it was Hamish. Hamish, H-A, is the letter J, as in Jose. So you find your K-I-V, oh, sorry, K-J-V, or is it K-H-V? You could do all of those, but none of those sort of things are actual contradictions or changes. But I will make one point to finish with. Don't fall in love with the print. Worship the person. Don't fall in love with the colour of the, of the cover. Make sure you adore the one who is the content of the Bible, and that is the person, Jesus Christ, and sure and share him. Now, so you can share something with Joseph, who's struggling terribly today. If you want to gift aid anything to Joseph's new laptop, as well as his new car, we'll probably make him walk home from the Isle of Wight uh, to make up for this show. But you can do that through gift aid to the to our UK office in Creation Research Trust. He certainly needs that. Now, if you want to take me off screen there and uh, bring Joseph back up live, uh, I'll come back a bit later to talk about Jurassic Rocks. Sorry, Jurassic Rocks. Yeah, thanks, John. Hopefully my sound come back. Um, keep the technology in prayer, guys. Keep the technology in prayer. <laughs> No, you're all good. You're all good, Joe. We can hear you. Good stuff. Well, Well, uh, sort of um, comment on on one or two things from there. So um, if everything goes according to plan, after the Isle of Wight on the way home, I'll be passing by um, the Jurassic Coast. So that's a nice sort of segue into what we've been talking about, Jurassic, right? Uh, And these uh, ichthyosaurs and stuff, we've found several of these ichthyosaur bones up and down along the Jurassic Coast before they're now in our collection. Who knows? We may be able to add another uh, piece or two into our uh, collection, and that should be good for next time. Um, So, yeah, no, we've done some... (laughs) some really good stuff and hopefully we'll be able to keep up with uh, posting stuff up and sort of following the road trip but yes please do pray for the technology please do pray that uh, we will be able to raise up the funds to get new technology that we desperately need now um everything was going so well until it all of a sudden didn't so um there we go and so john i'm now the uh, the viking fossil man am i the viking, the viking fossil man that That's red good. red-haired gene gives it away Yes, absolutely. Well, it's viewed. It's, I always find it fascinating the history because I'm from Norfolk as far back as we can sort of trace. Um, but when you do my DNA test, I've got quite a bit of Scottish in me, uh, quite significantly Scottish, almost almost a third Scottish. Now we don't. Have, so far, we haven't worked out who in the family 
or where in the line that Scottish came from, but it's a strong enough connection to say, well, not too far back, we've got this Scottish connection. And what is uh, rather interesting is that one of the groups of people who strongly infiltrated the Scots were the Vikings, as you well know, right? And so you get to the point where you've got two distinctive genes, a Scottish one and a Viking one, which, by the way, is really just they've all got different mistakes, different mutations. And so you can trace those mistakes back and say, well, this is definitely a Viking mistake. This is definitely a Scottish mistake, right? I have both of them. So I'm sort of half Celtic, half, half Scottish, right? But what I find really fascinating is that East Anglia, where I'm from, you know, more recently, as in the last few hundred years, uh, was Dane law for a very, very long time. It was part of the vikings so when you had uh, the british isles split up basically into dane law and saxon law saxon law king alfred the great famous king down in wessex and built his kingdom basically out of a swamp fought the vikings but the vikings had scotland had up north near york northumberland and down into york and they also had east anglia as well dane law cut right through east anglia and so uh, genetically i think there must be a link there from the vikings who were trading because they all would speak the same tongue and we know there were trading ports in east anglia we know there were trading ports in york and jorvik uh, we know there were trading ports up in scotland and so they'd have been trading and traveling and so i suspect that's where a lot of my genes has come from the sort of the scottish uh, viking genes that have uh, sort of been uh, drifted down half celtic half uh, half viking so fascinating thing looking into the history and tying in the genetics and seeing how it came together as well but yeah interesting little thought there okay so your computer's mm. not going to play ball uh, not in terms of uh, uh, watching a watching a video. No, it's um, okay, the, the software has yeah. semi crashed on me. The problem is, is uh, the because the computer is crashing. I worry that the graphics card will not be able to cope with mm. uh, exporting and uploading something at the same time as streaming this. Uh, I've done it before on this computer, but not when it's been behaving like this. And the last thing I want to do is just completely crash. So what we're going to have to do, uh, my suggestion would be perhaps um, end this stream slightly earlier, uh, perhaps in, in half an hour's time or after we've done some questions or talked about some more stuff. And that way I can dedicate the entirety of what's left of my laptop to exporting and uploading this, getting it up on uh, YouTube so you can all see it. We've also got, by the way, the day one um, film that we did yesterday was actually uh, cut off because of my software issues. We now have a full export of that, so I'll be re-uploading that and organizing the playlist and stuff like that. So you'll be able to watch day one. Day two will hopefully be up tonight and we'll carry on with live streaming stuff tomorrow. Tomorrow we are going somewhere slightly different we're going on to the north of the island uh, where we'll be looking at some of the post-flood deposits the ice age deposits and the glacial deposits where you have some wonderful fossils come out of there and uh, you've got great comments on climate change because you have reptiles come out of there crocodiles and turtles and stuff and i mean john you're in queensland right sunny queensland i've been to queensland where you are near brisbane in the middle of winter and it was lovely but can crocodiles survive near down near you not near me, another 300 kilometres north, and you may find a crocodile. But unless we have a serious flood and they get washed out to sea, 
and they will die if they come down here because their stomach no longer functions. Mm -hmm. It's too cold where I yeah. live. You can, can't believe that, can you, Joseph? But I know, it's astonishing. Really but, good um, exothermic stuff. Sam, have we got any questions come in so far? Because I've got another yes. main section on Jurassic Rocks. Yes, we do. Uh, we've had a question from George. Um, it, says, uh, it says here, uh, once it comes up on screen, what does the panel, including the living fossil, a.k.a. Mackay, um, <laughs> think about the many incongruities in the phylogenetic tree? Okay, well, since he's deliberately discriminated against us Gallic Scotsmen, uh, I better answer that uh, to start with. Um, whether George knows or not, that is the one thing that stopped me being an evolutionist. I was an ardent evolutionist at high school because that's all they taught me. It led to um, my willingness to just do anything morally um, because I realised if there was no God, there was no rules, you could be an animal because that's what the teachers taught us we were and I was smart enough to get away with it, but it never satisfied me one bit. Um, so you got away with it and you outthought other people. So what? Uh, the clapping stopped, the applause went, there was nothing left. So uh, it was reading through the textbooks on evolution and realising that Darwin's comment, which I'd eventually come across, that the fossils were the worst part of his theory, it would eventually ding. Hang on, I'm now training in geology at Queensland University and there is no fossils that help us support the phylogenetic trees in fact. Now, I say in fact seriously because when you construct a phylogenetic tree, you are looking for ancestry. Joseph's ancestry, beyond a shadow of a doubt, just his looks, you can trace him to some of my red-headed cousins, right, uh, in Scotland. My name, Mackay, gives away the fact that I'm from way up north where the Mackays come from. Ian Mikhoi uh, took back our castle from the... The, from the from the Vikings and the Vikings came to Scotland. They took our women and left their children behind. So you could actually prove a phylogenetic relationship between the Hubbards and Mackays if you really wanted to, because there's a Forbes in there somewhere. I'm even connected to our Andrew Forbes, who's our trust trust treasurer in or has been in the UK. Um, you will find that these trees actually need provable links as well. Not just the fact that you look like it, but you've got a history of traceable people. Now, when we build up phylogenetic trees amongst living creatures, it's fairly easy because you can test their ability to reproduce. A horse plus another horse produces a baby horse. Obviously a relationship. A horse plus a cow doesn't produce anything except a lot of noise. And you'll find there's no easy relationship that you could establish there. So they try to go through fossils. And the one thing I discovered, fossils are dead. Fossils don't have sex. Fossils don't reproduce. Fossils have no way you can actually prove a phylogenetic tree. You can look at them. And in fact, the geologists, one of the things I had to spend a year doing was learning alternatives to actually phylogenetics because you can't use genetics in geology. So we wouldn't have the standard sort of genetic trees. We'd try to build up what's called morphological trees. So you took 10% similarity and you said, well, they must be 10% distant in relationship, but it's meaningless. Uh, so what you'll find is there's no such thing as credible 
phylogenetic trees in geology unless you have mummy ichthyosaur giving birth to baby ichthyosaur because we've dug them up. Yep, we do have ichthyosaurs giving birth uh, with, with actual baby ichthyosaurs in them on the way out. So what you find is we have some things that we know of, but in every case, it's one for one. Mummy and daddy produce baby after their own kind. So no such thing as credible phylogenetic trees in geology at all. Darwin is up the creek without a paddle and even without a canoe. He's in serious trouble. In my mind, he sank. And as I've said so many times, that's one reason I accept that God was the creator and Christ was the redeemer and God is Christ and so is the Holy Spirit. And the word of God really grew uh, in vividness from Genesis chapter one onwards. Diane, you're more into the biology uh, of phylogenetic trees, etc. What comments have you got to add to that? Well, actually, it's an interesting time. Um, because of all of these genome studies and when they first developed the technology sufficiently to do whole genome studies within a, a reasonable amount of time, uh, and they're very quick now, they thought, oh, hooray, we can actually use genes to trace the uh, phylogenetic trees and see which organisms were once related to other organisms um, millions of generations ago or millions of years ago. Uh, and it hasn't worked because what they've done is they've looked at um, the genome of one particular organism and then found another one that's not on the same branch of the evolutionary tree and found that they have the same genes. Now, to us, that doesn't make any problem because if you are designing different uh, living organisms, they will have a lot of things that all living organisms need. There's a whole lot of cellular machinery that all living organisms have so they will have the genes for it. If they have a particular function in common, they'll have the genes for it. They were still made according to their kinds. Uh, and as one of our colleagues says, that uh, all of the kinds are just um, mixtures of unique mixtures, but of non-unique parts, just like anything that, that we might build or, or create ourselves. You will find components that are equally useful in a computer as in some other type of machinery. Same with equally components that might be useful in, um, in a house as in an office block or a shed or something like that. So that's no problem for us that they found the same genes in very, very different types of organisms. But of course, it didn't work for the evolutionists. So they had to come up with a new theory and it's called horizontal gene transfer. In other words, if you find two genes that are exactly the same and you have to go back to some ridiculously early um, link in the evolutionary tree, they'll say, no, there was actually a shortcut and somehow this gene got transferred from this branch of the evolutionary tree into another branch. Now, there's no evidence for it. It's just... Um, we have to explain away why these things just don't fit our evolutionary trees. And there's a whole industry of people redrawing the evolutionary trees every time they do some more gene sequences. Um, they've redrawn the plant evolutionary tree many times in the last few years, and they're still at it, uh, trying to link up what was the original uh, land plant 
and why we have the same genes in things which are not on the traditional um, phylogenetic tree. So there's lots of incongruities. They will always be there as long as you're trying to build up a picture of the all of the living things as being connected by a giant tree, whereas, in fact, the Bible says that they're after their kind each kind might be a unique combination of non-unique parts, but they've multiplied after their kind, just like the uh, the Jurassic tree that we've looked at and uh, the uh, living fossils that we have in our garden up at Jurassic Ark. So phylogenetics really only exist in people's minds. That and I believe you've got a lot of stuff like that on the fact file. They can look up, and we've also got a sort of slightly different question that involves Jay uh, in, the, in the fact file as well and in the Q&A. They can go and look up Q&A, insert a search for the name of God, because some people wanted to know, was his name Yahweh or Jehovah? That's another yes. one that's related, mm. right? And it's related to the V that I mentioned to before as well. So they can look up all of those things. And in fact, uh, I'll move on now. Um, Sam, get ready to bring me back on screen, but not just yet. We've been talking about Jay and Jurassic, and we sadly sit there watching the Cretaceous crumble before our eyes on the Isle of Wight as the computer there messed up. But we'll get around to bringing you Cretaceous when we do the letter C, probably. Yeah. Okay, now, I was reading a book. You, you heard Joseph say the name of the island used to be Vectus, right? And this is true, but the Roman V never used to be a V. I mean, if you look up Julius Caesar the second letter in his name is V. Now, we've had to deal with things that people keep changing words all the time. I mean, come on, let's be honest. If you're one of those who wants to insist that because the Greek has no J, you should always call him Jesus, then you also have to pronounce Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And you also have to call all the other J words in the New Testament with a Y or, a hi, or, a, or an I or an H, and it gets very confusing. So if you want to deal with people, you have to communicate to them where they are at. I spend a lot of time going overseas, and when I'm in the Philippines, I can't just quote Romans chapter 3 uh, in King James. It won't mean anything to them. I have to be able to find out what they're thinking and put it as best I can in their language and see Jesus as the Holy Spirit working miracles in their lives, because he does. That's what this is about, not just the sort of text print that you used. Okay, that brings me back to Julius. Um, I-V- I-V-L? It's interesting to have a look at his name. And why did I bring up? because V has become a letter you only pronounce as V at the start, but if it's in the middle, like it was in the Matthews Bible in 1537, you would pronounce it as a U, and the U eventually became a separate letter. You still see this if you go to Europe and you spell wicked. It starts with a double V in their eyes, but then that's what a double V is, you know? Two Vs stuck together? It's an interesting way we, we've invented letters to try and deal with what sounds are coming out of our mouth. Okay, Julius Caesar, he's the first person in the world who records the word for us that we now pronounce Jurassic. Now, I'm going to finish off with quite a few slides and then Joseph can decide if he's getting any results at all or tell us when he expects he will. Julius Caesar invaded up into what you and I would call Germany. 
at the bottom of Germany is a place that today is very rich in fossils. It's called Solnhofen. It's called the Jura Mountains. But if you read Julius Caesar's book, The Gallic Wars, yes, it's a boring book to read, but I've read it. I've got a copy. And when you look up the Latin version, because it was the Latins who became the Romans, Latins used to be a tribal group, and, and it's their sort of language and lettering system. So if you read up what the Jura Mountains were called, it was I-U-R-A, the Jura. Now, the I has become J, and we call it Jurassic. And you say, how did it get that way? Well, the British conquered the world, but there are people who could read and speak English. And one of them was a very famous uh, ocean, uh, oceanographer. His name was Alexander von Humboldt. And when he was deciding how to deal with this concept of fossils and where they're found, he was a six-day creationist. He's influenced by the British beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's well-known as a geographer. He wants all his stuff to read and sell. J is in. The I sound is out. The H sound is out. So J is what it becomes. Jurassic becomes Jurassic. And so by the 1830s, 1840s, this concept comes in. Which brings me up to our slideshow, please, Joseph, uh, be Sam, if you'll put my first slide up. Good. Decrepitly there in, in a room in, in the Isle of Wight does need your support. He'd love to come back to Australia. We love him too. That country, by the way, is as big as the continental USA. My state, which is in the top right-hand one, fits the entire UK, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, etc., seven times. See the distance from Brisbane to Gympie? Gympie's where we have our Jurassic Ark. It's the world's only really outdoor creation museum and dig site. Have a look at it on our website. Um, it's in Australia. It's on the East Coast. It's at Bells Bridge. And we started there. Oh, this is our lovely big pond. That's where it all got started. Because when they dug that big pond, they found that there were trees, bits of trees. They called me in. I dug them out. We got the kids to come along. The kids enjoy them. Look at that big one we excavated. Wow, fantastic. Mums and dads would come along. They'd dig up logs. No branches, no roots. Big rocks stuck beside them. You would find that the evidence was that none of them grew there. And why did we call it Jurassic? Because those same trees are found in the Jura Mountain deposits. The ones that Julius Caesar climbed over and because of his writing, even if he didn't pronounce it Jurassic, we know that the word simply meant woody. They're still covered in, in trees today. So up there at Gympie, we have the Jurassic deposits. Look at these smashed, crushed up logs. There's no doubt about it. This never was a fossil forest. Now, you remember Joseph on the Isle of Wight? Now, not quite Jurassic, Cretaceous, the next layer up, but logs as well. Yes, we've mapped everything to do with Jurassic Ark. There's our deposit marked on the map. Fantastic stuff. There we were when we first started. Um, we we're posing everything down. We're finding the fossils. We're mapping the site even. There's our first attempt done by geologist uh, Liam, and we've mapped the first logs we found. Overall, there is a tendency from northwest to southeast. Wow. Since then, by the way, we've spent some of your supporters' money. We spent $3,500 in one day with an underground penetrating radar and found 10,000 logs. There's a lot of fossils there. And they're mixed with big cobbles. They're mixed with rocks. 
the cross bedding is amazing. And the trees, the logs, no, no branches at one end, no roots at the other. The trees are abraded, just like the ones that have appeared in, well, what is that from? You see, I, I went and photographed these logs because they were, well, now there they are in our deposit. Here they are in real life. That's a log jam. There's been a, a earthquake. There's been a landslip on the mountain behind it and all those trees tumbled into the river and they're slowly rubbing against each other as they go down the river. And I trace them down to the where the Fraser River hit the uh, ocean down near Vancouver and the trees were all rounded at the end. And they were mixed up like this. This is not a remnant fossil forest. This is a fossil log jam. The trees live somewhere else. They've been bought here and dumped and buried. And because they're pine trees, we know that. We've even had the experts in to check. They were softwoods. They didn't last long. That's why we called it the fossil flood log jam. Or oh, things have changed a lot since then. But if you want to support what we do, then yes, you can do it through diffs, uh, through the, the program we're doing at the moment. Sam will put that up again. And thanks for those of you who donated. We turned it into a place where people can come and watch the excavations. They can get involved. Oh, look, this is the one that turned out to be key. Can you see it's got very even tree rings? Can you see it's got a branch coming out? Now, if you're an artist, you may understand that every tree has a unique pattern of branches. And good artists very quickly cotton on to how to draw trees because all they're really drawing is the stick with the angle. And people say, oh, yes, I know what that tree is. Well, all you saw was just sticks with an angle. But that gives it away in your mind. These were southern conifers. We even had the forestry come out. We had the experts come out. Three mines got all together and all three said, these are southern conifers, oricaria trees, just like this one. That's only growing 20 kilometers away down in the town of Gympie, which we're not far from, a very famous gold mining town. You see, the oricaria family includes the bunyas, the hoop pines, the cowries, and the famous woolamai that Diane mentioned. In fact, we uh, took that sign that they made up when they first discovered Woolamai pines living and they put the fossil behind it. We got the Woolamai pines and we planted them. Look at that. There's the living fossil Woolamai pine and there's our fossils. Yes, our fossils are better than their fossils. And these are Jurassic. Um, they're called Jurassic because the rocks are like those in the Jura Mountains. They contain the same sort of fossils. If you want to find Australian trees, then you'll find them in the Jura Mountains. Did you catch what I just said? When David Attenborough gets on TV and says, oh, the Australian animals must have evolved. They're so unique. Well, in reality, you should say, come on, David, start talking about the fishes and the trees. Because what you find is our Aussie fishes and our Aussie animals in many cases lived in many other places but they're now dead in Germany because it's too cold. And besides, you don't see often many pine trees with fishes swimming amongst them. I mean, look at some of these. These are all in our collection, by the way. Thank you, those of you who supported us over the last 40 years as we've wandered around the globe collecting the rock-solid evidence that David Attenborough just doesn't fudge it. He actually lies to you because he knows what this evidence is. 
There's no better definition of telling a furphy, telling a falsehood, actually not telling the truth. In fact, when he planted that tree in the uh, gardens, Kew Gardens in England, he called himself out. He used it as evidence of evolution when in reality, in a court of law, he'd be forced to admit it was evidence that plants haven't changed at all. Jurassic, yep, Jurassic in Australia. It's got Woolamoy pines. We've still got Woolamoy pines. In fact, we received a marvellous donation uh, from the, uh, the uh, discovery of this. It was fabulous. But the fossils, the fossils are pretty unique. This place is now cut off from uh, just anybody going there and the evolutionists alone like to control it. We're very grateful for some of these specimens we've been able to get over the years. Remember Diane's point, after its own kind? There's no doubt about it. The Woolamai pines, all the Bunya pines, all the Oricarias are wonderful evidence that from the day they first got buried in rocks up to the present, they have not evolved. So you can trust your Bible that 10 times says that God created things to produce their own kind. In fact, he stamped his nature on creation because the whole purpose of that was to tell you if they don't change, it's because I don't change. God doesn't evolve. He was opposed to homosexuality 4,000 years ago and he's opposed to it now. Did that upset you? Sorry, I've just got to tell you the truth because you mightn't like it from me, but one day you'll stand before God and he will not accept any argument that you will say, oh, my parents were LGBT. Um, they brought me up this way. No, you see, we set up Jurassic Ark. We even took the places we'd dumped all the soil in and we turned it into that living fossil forest. There's one of our early workers, John, and we're setting up what became this tree. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing how quickly you can make a forest. And you should see it now, eight years further on. We have turned it into a magnificent forest that you'd say was an old growth forest. It isn't. And again, why Jurassic? One simple reason. Let's go to the, oh, look, there's a word, Jura. Now, they're using our modern version of the old Latin uh, alphabet because we've got a J. Remember how the J started? as a little number at the end of the eyes, and the eyes were numbers. And now, of course, we've distinguished the J from the year. Yep, Hamish, Jamish, James. Yep, the King Hamish Bible. Sounds funny, doesn't it? It's not irreverent at all because Hamish is Scottish for James. And where do we get a Eura from? Well, that is Gaelic, the same language we spoke in Scotland. Gaelic for Eura is the Gaelic word Eura, is the word we call today Jura. Amazing what happens to language. And yes, I've been there. Yes, I've been collecting. It simply means like the rocks in the Jura Mountains. There's Dad and his son. There's me in the Jura Mountains. Look what I bought home. I was the only Aussie in this expedition. Yes, I bought the coin home as well, just for my grandkids. But I bought this fossil home, and I went right down the back, picked one living Aussie plant. Can you see the living one on the right? See the fossil one on the left? The plant is a cycad. The fossil is a cycad. And it doesn't matter if you take the oricarias or the cycads. The oricarias live in Australia today and they're found dead in the Jura Mountains. The cycads live in Australia today. They're found dead in the Jura Mountains. So you know one thing. 
God's word is true from the beginning. You don't need to take my word for it. Go outside and see the hypocrites who are proclaiming evolution to the housetops, but they're not doing any evolving at all. You can convict them with their own behavior because God's word is true from the beginning and it's the evidence he will use against you if you don't believe what he says. Can I encourage you? There's how our garden started out. We were planting a whole living fossil cycad. You say, that's pretty dry. Sure it is. You may remember in 2008, we had mega droughts around the planet and people saying in Australia, it'll never rain again. And as a result, our local government said, we must plant only sustainable plants because there's going to be no water. The climate is irreparably damaged by coal and you name it. And so they ordered all of their water-heavy plants to be ripped up and, and, and torn out. Well, I got a phone call from a nursery that said, do you want truckloads of cycads? They're free. We got them. I mean, you buy whole trees like that, they're worth a couple of thousand dollars. They're now at Jurassic Arc. It's a living fossil. Oh, and yes, since then, in 2010, it rained. 2011, we had mega floods. 2021, we had big floods. Uh, they lied to you about climate change because they left God out of it as well as God out of biology. And I encourage you, Go to our website, learn more about the Jurassic Arc project. Have a look at what Joseph posts in the next few days. And if you want to take the screen off there now, Sam, we can go back to any questions we've got to finish off uh, the uh, this morning or evening in your case. Can I just add a, a quick comment onto the back of that, John? Um, so uh, as you know, we got uh, we managed to acquire um, almost <clears throat> miraculously some of these uh, Willamite pines, you know, the ones that are supposedly, you know, extinct for 200-odd uh, million years, and David Attenborough thinks it's romantic. Um, <laughs> but we actually managed to get hold of uh, get hold of some of these. Now, because they all have to be officially imported, any ones that are imported have to be imported through official routes. And so normally, if you want to purchase one in the UK, they cost an absolute fortune. But we actually got ours off of a person who had bought one, and then had actually grown, tried to grow them from seeds and had successfully germinated a whole load. So we managed to get several trees off of, off of her. So we've got some um, of these Willamite pines. And uh, I believe you have yet to fulfill your promise of sending us some of those fossils, John. But at some point, uh, we'll hopefully get some of those on display in the museum so you can actually see the fossils next to the Woolamai pine right there. Because am I right in thinking, John, that the Woolamai doesn't grow brilliantly well where you are? It's from a slightly further further south? Well, you are waiting for the fossils because we're waiting for our watchers to give you donations so you can cover the postage because COVID has made postage unbelievable. How is that for a, a fast appeal? for There we go, yeah. Here? So, yes, Louis, we've got heaps of fossils here. It's been marvellous. We had an old collector who many years ago collected all these, and uh, we have some fabulously big sheets of the Woolamai Pines and all of those things. So, so yes, you will get your share as long as I get my share of ichthyosaurs and things like that back. But I believe your uh, country is almost opening up, so it might even be yeah. feasible to one time again. Yeah, today, yes. I think, was the day um, where you no longer have to wear masks and no longer have to socially distance and all this kind of stuff. And they're talking about completely removing all restrictions, absolutely everything, by um, 
sort of March time. So uh, yeah, we're pretty we're pretty much free to do what we want now, which is great. Mm, that'd be good well, because well, I tell we'll you what, many of that. our supporters yes. are mm. just about bankrupt after the last two and a half years. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you something really that yeah. here. Tell you something that we're hoping to do when I go to the Jurassic Coast, and you'll hear a few updates about this when I go there and put out the live videos and do the videos and stuff. One of the things that I'm doing there is I'm actually going to see um, a, uh, a campsite with a large rally field, mm. as we call it. And the reason why is because Creation Research would like to host a um, Creation Research retreat, which mostly is featured around fossil hunting down on the Jurassic Coast. So we will have seminars and devotions and things in the evening and, you know, things to, 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 to you know, teachings like you would at a normal conference. But it will be supplemented very uniquely by being very heavy on the fossil hunting. So we get to go down to the beach and travel along the Jurassic Coast, go and dig up the fossils, bring the fossils back, and then we teach you how to, you know, study those fossils and how to learn things from those fossils they relate back to scripture so it's a wonderful going to be a wonderful hands-on experience we're hoping to do it later on this year so keep watching if you're in the uk or if you want to fly to the uk and join us you can do that as well um but just uh yeah keep um keep uh keep keep watching for more information about that shall and we another um, reminder oh. joseph that they can go and have a look at our website with Kathy Creek's contact number on if they're interested mm -hmm. in the homeschooling courses that we're going to try and set up in mid-February. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Joseph, yeah. you were asking about where the uh, Wallamai pines actually grow. Yeah. Uh, they found them in the Blue Mountains in mm. New South Wales, which is um, significantly further south. So that's the colder part of Australia. And they were found in a little valley in the Blue Mountains. I haven't actually been there. No one is actually allowed to go there except for a few um, uh, um, sort of uh, people who are doing the scientific research. They, they, uh, but it is part of a national park called Wallamai National Park. So that's where the name comes. The, um, the species name Nobilis comes from the uh, uh, park ranger who actually discovered them. But they were yeah. found... In a, in a little um, gully, a little valley. And I, I used to live near the Blue Mountains and during the winter it is very, very misty. And so I can understand why the, uh, the tree in Kew Gardens is growing so well, mm -hmm. <laughs> where these things are now growing, where they were found. Uh, has a proper temperate climate with cold, frosty winters and lots of mists. Uh, 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 and I think you'll find that that's familiar. That is very, Not very so familiar. familiar yeah, in yeah, Queensland. Yeah. Well, I remember... Not Queensland um, at all. I remember travelling to Australia, because I travelled to Australia in Australia's winter, which was our summer, right, in the UK. Mm. And I remember speaking to John and saying, well, what, you know, what kind of stuff should I pack to come? I'm thinking Australia, you know, outback shorts. And he said, well, when you're in Queensland, it's going to be fairly cool. And I thought, well, your fairly cool is actually my pretty warm. So, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. And then he said, of course, we're going south. And so we're going into the Blue Mountains and down to Melbourne, where it'll be snowing. I'm like, oh, it's snowing. Okay, I need a coat and a jumper. And, a, and and then we're going you know, down to um, South Australia, where it's going to be sort of what it's like for me in the autumn. And then we're going to Alice Springs, which is like the middle of the summer. And I, I'm going to need 10 bags by the end of this wardrobe. <laughs> but I think one of the, the interesting things, having been to the Blue Mountains and been sort of in the general area where the um, Wollamai is, 
and experiencing snow there as well in the mountains right um i think the the climate is pretty similar to what we have in the uk i think one of the biggest differences mm. is going to be uh because of the size of australia and because of the you know the the different effects there the getting exact ecological similarities is difficult particularly mm. in the soil uh the the mm. they are mm. the woolamai are very very sensitive in the soil and here in the uk with our very diverse geology we have very very diverse soil um as a result of that you know whether you're on chalk or whether you're on something else whereas in australia you've got you know massive amounts of um rock types covering huge and so the, the soil is very uniform and that's what can sustain these woolamite pines and a lot of these uh trees that even though the climate might be the same um don't grow very well in the uk so one of the difficulties we've had is actually trying to get the soil the same so mm. all right sam what are you up to with questions there well um well indeed i'm just what i, I was just uh, posting the um the uh, uk donation uh site because uh, sandy asks for it um so hopefully you'll be able to find that in the chat uh we've had a few questions in which is good um we've also had another donation from i am matt thank you so much he has uh donated very kindly uh and he has said um pair character extra extra exaggeratedly stretching his arm forward to offer a cup of coffee uh so um god bless you for that very inspiring message there um thank but, you, no, it's, it's, thank you <laughs> um so but it basically for those who don't know the streaming software that we use um it doesn't actually show the sticker that has been sent it just tells us a description um so that's often provides some hilarity uh on our part uh so let me just pull up a question here uh this comes from someone on facebook <laughs> my computer decides to actually do this uh oh, hello, comes from, there we go it's come from mhcpt chartered physiotherapy um question evolutionists yeah, uh, talk this about is, this is this is marrick who's one of our supporting churches uh from one of our supporting churches in the uk oh, okay there we go oh, that probably that's probably a much better explanation than uh, why a physiotherapy yes um website is uh, is watching our streams um you know, question evenly talk about the similarity of genes across species what do these supposed similarity of genes look like can you explain further Diane, do you want to comment on that to start with? Uh, well, similarities of genes, you have to remember that genes are just coded information. Uh, so um, we can now read the code. It's actually a series of chemicals. And because we have the technology now, we can do that fairly quickly. So what they do is they find the, the same string of code letters of DNA letters in one species and they find it in another species. And so it's just the similarities in the actual coding letters in the in the sequence of uh, of gene letters uh, you, you don't actually look at genes um because it they're just dna molecules you actually have to read the code to uh, see what it's coding for so what they're finding is just similarities in the code it's like finding similar similar sentences in two different books the the closest we ever got to doing that I remember when I was doing genetics at Queensland University, we had to dissect creatures and pull out chromosomes, some of which in salivary glands and say fruit flies are very big, and they would come with bars across them, which would match uh, almost a distribution of information or whatever. 
and you could match bar features to features in the fly, like where the wings were or, or whatever. And that was the closest we got, but you weren't actually looking at DNA or genes in, in, in that. The one thing you did discover is that you could actually have the same genes in a creature, but even if you shifted the order of those genes, then the whole result was different, but they were related creatures, uh, but they, they would diverge into separate species by putting the same genes in different places. But no evolution, it ended up being degeneration. So anything you want to add to that, Diane? Yes, the, um, those patterns of bars, I've seen those as well. That's to do with the way the DNA is packaged when cells are dividing. So we're, with that technique and those um, gene uh, chromosome pictures, we've actually shown you some on this program as well. Um, when cells divide, the, the DNA has to be all wound up and very, very tightly packaged so that it's not damaged during the um, division process. And so the pattern you're looking at is the pattern of packaging. Now, to a certain extent, that does relate to the actual gene content because genes do not work in isolation. And so you actually have whole series of genes that are needed to build the particular structures and the particular functions that each living organism has. So there, there are similarities in that packaging. And before we had the gene sequencing technology, that was one of the best things we could find for looking for similarities between different living organisms. But now that we can actually read the code itself, um, that's what uh, the biologists and the geneticists um, and the evolutionists zero in on. Uh, but as we said before, finding similar genes in two different species or even two sort of widely apparently unrelated things simply means that you've got the code for a particular structure or function that both of those living things needed. It's not an indication that one turned into the other. Something that's worthwhile remembering when it comes to things like genes is that what we're really looking at is a language. It's a mm. language for life. And so looking at how language works can be quite useful. And one thing you'll notice is oh, that... Yes. A single author will have a particular style and you will, even if he never sort of repeats sentences and stuff like that, you know that it's the same author because of his style. Now, an author has 26 letters to work with. In DNA, you have four. And so your similarities are going to be a lot, lot, lot more common. But really, if you think about it, other than showing, you know, a sloppy design, what you're actually looking is evidence for incredible design, because with just four letters, you're able to code for everything that we see in life, the complete diversity that we see in life from a human being down to a worm, down to a bacterium, right? Um, it's an incredible amount of diversity doing completely different stuff all coded with only four letters. And one thing you'll know if you know a little bit of genetics is that genetics is actually in four different, your, your genes, uh, your DNA, the way that it codes, it's in four different dimensions because they will actually change and fold over time to code for something else. So it gets incredibly complex. And so uh, it's not surprising that we find similarities because we have similarities of structures. And if you have four letters coding for a particular structure uh, or four letters in a long row coding for a particular structure, it's going to be found throughout or a similar code is going to be found throughout. But you're still looking at incredible evidence of design because look at the great differences between, say, humans and chimpanzees. 
Oh, you always hear about the similarities between them, but look at the differences and look at the differences in such a small difference of the genetic software. It is absolutely remarkable and great evidence that it's been designed and uh, hasn't happened by itself. Any others, Jess Sam? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we've got one that uh, probably would be for Diane, actually. Uh, this has come from uh, Steve Stranghoner. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry if I butchered it. Um, are these COVID variants evolving, and why are they popping up in isolated places like South Africa? Are they possibly manufactured like the original COVID-19? Uh, well, COVID variants um, are... This is one place where the word evolve, meaning change, is sort of closest to the truth. Now, you have to remember that um, the, the virus has not changed into a different kind of virus. Um, so what they've been able to do, because a virus has such a small genome, because it's such a small thing, um, they can actually sequence the entire DNA of all of these variations. And yes, we are finding uh, lots of variation, lots of variants, lots of changes in the DNA um, of some parts of the virus, um, particularly the, the proteins that stick out. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the classic picture of a, um, a COVID virus with all of those bits sticking out, they're called spike proteins. And you do get some variations which change the shape of those spikes a little bit. Uh, so yes, as we're finding the different variants, yes, we can see how they are changing. But the one thing is that um, the coronavirus is still the same coronavirus as the original one uh, that they found back at the beginning of 2020. So there's no evolution in terms of a new species, let alone a new kind. Uh, what we're getting is variation in kind, and we've known about that. It happens with all in all biological systems. Uh, now, you will we'll probably find the one bit of good news in all these new variations. I heard it again on the news last night. Uh, they've got uh, a variation of Omicron they're calling Son of Omicron, right? Almost sounds like a, a spooky movie, right? Um, but basically, they then said, this is spreading really fast and it's a very weak virus. Now, I remember studying at university, whether it was viruses or any of these sort of things, the slower they went, it was because they would kill off their host and they didn't have a chance to get across to to um, other other hosts. The faster they went is because they didn't do much damage, so the person coughed or spluttered them all over the place uh, and they would spread really, really quickly. So if you've got a new variant, it's because the whole thing is weakening down and it's being puffed everywhere by people who are hardly suffering anything more than a sore throat or whatever. And at the moment here in Australia, where Omicron has gone mad, but almost nobody is really suffering hugely compared to the original bad results. Now, that was the, the TV report last night. Those sort of speed of, of results have come under criticism, but I'm pretty sure from just watching what we're seeing, you are looking at what almost appears to be a terminal point in the effect of the COVID virus, and let's hope so and pray so. Uh, and if you haven't got your ivermectin, get some. It really does work. Uh, as well as whatever else I'd want to put with the ivermectin. I hate to say this because it's so unpopular. Uh, it actually is a very efficient way of dealing with it. 
yeah, the, the change in the in the viruses, and this happens with other viruses as well. It is actually a case of true survival of the fittest. The fittest virus is the one that can spread, rather yeah. than the one that actually kills you. Uh, so survival of the fittest and natural selection are real processes, but they're not evolutionary processes. They are just about survival. Uh, they're not going to change the virus into another virus. It's just a variant um, that can um, literally survive. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's that has been selected, as it were, because the um, the ones that killed you they don't spread. The ones that don't kill you they do spread. And so, Steve, g'day, g'day, mate, from an old friend in Australia, and I will be sending you an email soon for a bit of editing comments. So we've known Steve for ages. Good on you, mate. Good to see you again. Last one. I think it's uh, very interesting um, that the U one of the things that the UK government has come out, because I've just been reading some of the comments, and um, Sandy's been saying about some of the stuff that's going on over in New Zealand, and thank you very much for the um, uh, donation as well, by the way, Sandy. Um one of the things that I'm very impressed. Joe, jo, uh, warn me when you're going to do that, because I'll put it up on the screen. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> right, okay. No, carry on. I'll find it. It should be way. there somewhere. I'm sure I saw yeah, it pop up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that really has really impressed me with what the UK government is doing about the um, uh, Omnicrom and the COVID stuff is that uh, our health secretary stood up the other day and said, we need to learn to live with COVID just like we have had to learn to live with the flu. And he said a few years back, the flu was a much, much bigger thing than it is today. The flu is getting weaker. It's a strong virus, and we still have lots of people die from the flu every year, and we always have done, but we need to learn to live with it, just like we've lived with the flu, um, because that's what viruses do. Viruses change, and they mutate, and they get weaker as a result of it, because they're getting less and less genetically diverse or genetically strong. And so the Omicron is really what has helped us with this, um, and uh, I'm quite uh, impressed with how the UK government is now dealing with it, because we've been uh, on very limited restrictions now to basically no restrictions suit to be to nothing at all and uh, everything is uh, is going pretty well but the problem is i suspect with a country like new zealand as soon as they start easing up the restrictions the virus is going to do what the virus does and spread around and as a result the restrictions come back in and you're going to be going on a constant circular uh, issue where you've no actual solution to it in the slightest and uh, don't be like most of our politicians who want purely political action and they leave God out of the picture because God is the one who actually is the sovereign Lord and healer and the creator of even the COVID virus. So it originally had a good function. It's just that Diane Eager hasn't found what it was yet. <laughs> right, okay. So we've got, um, got sort of more of a light-hearted question here from... Uh... BR Bass. Um, did men walk with dinosaurs? And if so, did they use them for transport and building homes? So sort of like the Flintstones then. Yours, Joe. <laughs> All right. Um, well, if you want a biblical picture, men certainly did walk with dinosaurs because dinosaurs by uh, the definition of the word dinosaur um, is a creature that walks on the land. In other words, it was created on day six of creation, according to scripture, the same day that man was created. Uh, bear in mind that dinosaur is a relatively new word. It was invented in the mid-1800s by Richard Owen. Um, 
the founder of the Natural History Museum. Before that, they were referred to as dinosaurs. Uh, that's a historically provable fact, by the way. Okay. Dragon. I think you mean dragons. dragons. Sorry, I did mean that. That's exactly what I meant. Sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> they were referred to as they were referred to mm. as dragons. That's a historically provable fact. You find it in all of the literature. Even uh, Richard Owen, who coined the name dinosaurs, called them dragons before we called them dinosaurs. Right. So dinosaurs and dragons are one and the same. According to scripture, they were made on day six of creation. So yes, they did walk with dinosaurs. Did they use them for transport and building homes? Um, they could quite possibly have done. I mean, we don't really have any uh, real evidence that people did or didn't but what's interesting is if you look at the definitions of animal types in scripture and there are definitely different animal types god tells you about uh the different types of animals that he created in creation and that's reiterated as well in the new testament dinosaurs and john you could comment on this if i'm wrong but i would believe that they would come under beast of burden well, having watched the Flintstones, I'm sure that that's where they got the idea from. And, yeah. you know, seriously bringing up the Flintstones, it is time to remember how much politics interferes with this because I'm old enough to not only remember the Flintstones, to not only have enjoyed them, but also to know, as someone involved in education, the Skeptics Associations desperately tried to get that show removed from children's television because it was so effective in creating the impression dinosaurs could be used as beasts of burden and all sorts of things like that. So when you have a look at uh, any creature, remember in the beginning we had dominion and our dominion has progressively lost, lost, lost as sin has had more and more a big effect and some of you can't even get your dog to obey. But in the beginning, none of that would have been a problem. We had authority, the animals accepted it, we were in charge. Now most of us aren't even in charge of our bedroom. It gets away from us. So, yes, the, the, in general, that's the comment we can make on that, Joseph, for sure. Sam, I think it's probably Joseph looking very weary and he needs to fix his computer and he needs to rejoice in the fact that somebody out there is going to send him a lovely donation through chat and all these things tonight. <laughs> he needs something to rejoice in. He feels pretty discouraged after some of the shows tonight. But I think overall it's gone well. So, uh, oh, Sam, uh, do you got any other things you need to post up or just put up our, our program? There's a, there's, a very, there's a very nice message that's come through. It's not a question. Um, again, from uh, B.R. Bass. I uh, said, uh, John Mackay, uh, God bless you and your family. A lot of your creation information I have used to witness to people uh, when they ask me questions about evolution. A lot of it I took uh, and take from the John Polkinghorne debate in Liverpool. Um, so, the, you know, God bless you. Thank you so much. We're so glad that you found our, yeah, our content useful. Yeah, it was a good debate. Um, All right, guys. That's yeah. good. I'll, uh, if, there are, if there are any other, I'll have a quick scan through. Um, I'll yeah. see if I can copy any other questions that we didn't get to. We always say, if ask your questions. If we don't get to them, we will do use them either on another episode or at the end of our sort of uh, series of episodes where we have a special Q&A and we just deal with questions from the past and your questions from the night. So keep the questions coming in. By the way, we've had a lot of good encouragement from the road trip film. So keep supporting that. We really do appreciate that. And we'll try and do more in the future if they're popular. Um, I've also discovered shorts today. Um, as in YouTube shorts, not the not the, the, the clothing. 
<laughs> I, think that, I think that was probably a bit evident from when you first did yeah. the live stream. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube shorts, um, which I tried doing one for our fossil discovery earlier. And what's interesting uh, for those watching who, um, uh, well, basically, we're, we're having people who, because I assume it's something to do with the algorithm, and Sam will be able to comment on that yeah. further but people are watching the shorts that are not followers of creation research so mm -hmm. um pray that that would be a way of also evangelizing to more people uh, as we go and put up these short sorts of less than a minute long um shorts i think they're only like 15 seconds long or something like that that yeah, you can have so basically the way it works is that youtube uh is trying to compete with tiktok so the uh -huh. big sort of chinese conglomerate of TikTok um of short videos uh obviously in this day and age we've got you know snappy you know consume lots of content as quick as possible that's the way things are going um so YouTube's come up with something called shorts um and people can upload up to a minute of footage um otherwise if it goes over a minute it'll be classed as a YouTube video right. um and it'll just post it up normally um but the whole point of shorts is that you will just sit on your home page um and you'll click on the shorts um on your phone and you'll just swipe up and it'll show you something else from something that will might be related or might not be related and it hopes that you'll start to engage with that content a bit more and show and starts to learn what you like and what you don't like depending on how long you watch something for okay cool well i will carry on doing some shorts and uh, we'll see where, <laughs> we'll see where we'll see where it goes but that's uh, that's great i'm going to finish then with just one very little video that we did manage to uh, export earlier it's not the big long one that'll go up later but i'll just play you the uh, the title track that we put together for uh, indie joe's road tr road trip and um yeah we will um show that and then sign off so i can get the main one up and running There you go. Hopefully that worked all right. Great stuff. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Keep supporting. Yes. Keep uh, praying. Keep watching. Uh, keep following me on the road trip. And um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you uh, one quick thing from me. Um, very quick thing from me. Um, if you haven't had your question answered on the live chat, um, because of the, my computer is playing up. So if you could possibly be be so kind as to repost your question as a comment on this video after the live stream ends that would help me greatly um and we'll very much endeavor to answer any questions on the next episode of creation conversations i think the live yeah. chat is published afterwards as well so um we should be able to go back and find that at some point but yeah right. great stuff thank you all very much everybody catch you later god bless and we'll see you next time yeah. Bye -bye. Yeah.